0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of PwC's Talking Tax Podcast, a forum for us at PwC to share some perspectives on topical tax matters with a particular focus on how these matters impact industrial manufacturers. I'm John Livingstone, PwC's Global Industrial Products Tax Leader, and I'm very pleased to host today's discussion. Today's topic is focused on the Biden administration's tax policy agenda and the potential implications to industrial manufacturers. To provide some Inside the Beltway insights, I am pleased to be joined once again by Scott McCandless and Janice Mays. Both Scott and Janice are senior members of PwC's Washington Tax Policy Team with several years of experience with Congressional Tax Writing Committees, and I am pleased to have them both with us. Welcome, Janice and Scott. Thanks a lot. Thank you, John. Good to be with you. Okay. So let's jump right in. There has been lots of activity on tax policy from both the administration and Congress in recent weeks. Let's focus first on the president's proposals. On March 31st, the president announced his $2.3 trillion American jobs plan focused on infrastructure and other spending initiatives. That same day, the president also announced his Made in America tax plan which contains a number of corporate tax increases intended to finance these new spending proposals. Additionally, on April 28th, the president called on Congress to enact his $1.8 trillion American Families Plan, which includes proposals to increase individual taxes on high-income individuals intended to finance other parts of his agenda, including tax cuts for lower-income individuals and funding for various childcare, education, health care, and other initiatives. The corporate tax changes proposed by the president, like the changes he's proposed for individuals, are extensive and significant. The notable corporate provision included in the President's plan is an increase in the headline corporate tax rate from twenty-one percent to twenty-eight percent. Additionally, the president's proposal includes provisions that would increase the cost of the so-called guilty provisions, including a doubling of the rate applicable to earnings subject to guilty, applying guilty on a per country basis, and eliminating the ten percent deduction for qualified business asset investment or QI. The plan also proposes the elimination of the deduction related to foreign-derived intangible income or FDII, but replaces it with a yet-to-be-outlined incentive for more effectively promoting R&D investment in the U.S. And it includes, as previewed in the campaign, a 15% minimum tax on large corporations' book income. Finally, and notably, the president's plan also eliminates one of the more controversial provisions from the TCJA the so-called BEAT provisions, but replaces them with the stopping harmful inversions and ending low-tax development rules, otherwise known as the SHIELD proposals. These rules would deny deductions for certain related party payments that would strip profits out of the United States and that are made to a country that does not adopt a minimum tax on receipt of those payments. The proposed minimum rate of foreign tax for these purposes is set at 21% or some other rate that is ultimately included in a multilateral agreement. Additionally, the SHIELD rules would also deny deductions for expenses related to offshoring jobs while providing a new credit for onshoring jobs and prevent U.S. corporations from inverting or claiming tax havens as their residence. For most US-parented companies in the manufacturing sector that tend to have customers all over the world and significant global operations outside the US, these changes, particularly the GILTI and FDII changes, would represent, if enacted, a significant tax expense incremental to the proposed headline corporate rate increase and will represent a significant cash cost for companies across the sector. So Janice, a lot to cover there and recognizing that it is still early days and that the Congress, particularly the Senate, will have a significant role to play in determining how these tax policy matters play out. How are these proposals being received in Congress and what is the latest thinking on what the final legislation might look like?
1: With extremely tight majorities in the House and the Senate, All eyes are on those moderate Democrats in Congress to see what limits they might want to put on this. With the exception of West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who has challenged any corporate tax rate above 25%, effectively capping it there, since they cannot lose his vote. Most moderates have kept their thoughts to themselves at this point. They've been focused on the spending side, quite honestly, and they're just now turning to taxes. I've just begun to read the first news articles with policy advisors to those moderates, not the moderates themselves being quoted, but their policy advisors beginning to say that after $6 trillion has been spent on COVID and the economy, another $4 trillion more in government spending, maybe too much in their districts. It's going to take them longer to digest these complex business proposals and I think learn from their local businesses the real economic and U.S. job consequences. The president's budget specifics and Treasury's green book, hopefully out in late May, may begin to help clarify some of these proposals for them and clarify the effects. But in the meantime, Senate Finance Chair Ron Wyden has presented a framework of international tax changes of his own that do show some daylight between the administration and the progressives. I think to some extent that has even given business hope that they can begin to go talk about some of those differences and kind of show why things are different. In the House, the tax writers are holding their thoughts close to themselves. They are requesting business input. And in the end, I still think the moderates are likely to moderate that's going to be what this is. This is going to be shrinking the total, shrinking these proposals at some point, but those specifics are not clear yet where they go and business is going to have to help them figure out where those fault lines are.
2: I completely agree with Janice, John, and it actually makes me think of one particular point with regard to timing and perhaps a cautionary note for some of the folks listening. We are probably still several weeks away from seeing more detail in this plan. It might be the end of May, perhaps around or after Memorial Day, before we start to see some documentation or legislative proposals around which we can really build some models. And in the meantime, the cautionary part of this is that you might hear a lot of rumors. So I think it's very important to try to sift through the things that you might be hearing and to, uh, to be very careful about some of those things that might be swirling. There might be some truth to some and others are mere speculative or even attempts to try to guide the conversation in a direction that somebody wishes it to go and yet may still be unrealistic. So I just caution that because we're still a little ways away from seeing a little more meat on the bones, if you will, based on the proposals that the administration has put out so far. The other factor here that we want to consider is the international development Janice had mentioned some of the international tax plans. Both the administration has its own, as well as the top Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, Chairman Wyden. However, there are also attempts to steer international tax policy from the OECD. And there is a key G20 meeting in July. that is expected, the Treasury Secretary Yellen will attend that. She has already been leaning in on some of these global minimum tax ideas. And it will be important to see what comes out of that negotiation. While the OECD is a consensus-building entity, and therefore the individual countries will have to take any proposals back to their legislatures, but it sounds as though Secretary Yellen is already contemplating a way to deal with that in the form of something akin to, say, a coalition of the willing. In other words, some countries that might be willing to agree orally, publicly, and to try to commit to getting some kind of global minimum tax. And she may bring back that kind of agreement to the United States and try to ask Congress to contemplate that and consider it as they move forward in international tax plan. So that's a very important moving piece to all this. We have to keep eyes on that as well.
0: So, Scott, thanks for laying out a bit of what the calendar for some of these proposals looks like for the rest of the year. One question that we are getting a lot from practitioners and clients is effective dates around the corporate proposals. Can you talk a little bit about what we might see around when these provisions would be effective? Sure. It's a great question. And we're expecting the corporate
2: changes to be prospective. The earliest implementation date that we expect is probably January of 2022. There has been some speculation that it could be phased in. So maybe if they do go to 25, they don't do a four-point jump overnight. Maybe it's phased in. But again, that is pure speculation at this point and kind of reemphasizes the point I was trying to make about there will be a lot of rumors that you'll have to sift through. So we'll have to watch out for that. But that's possible. Either way, we expect a prospective effective date for the corporate change. That does not, however, mean that everything will be prospective. We're actually hearing that it is possible, again, this is speculation, but it is possible that we might have an effective date for a capital gains increase, if there is one, that could fall sometime in 2021. The rationale for that would be to try to prevent tax rate arbitrage or a sell-off of assets. They had summer of selling, if you will, in order to prevent a rush for the exits before an increase in that rate, if it were to come. Uh, So we just want to watch out for that. What you might see is an announcement of a proposal, and the Congress might say, this is the date from which this tax change will be deemed effective, even if it is not actually enacted until a later date. So just watch out that the capital gains might be one area where we could see an earlier effective date.
0: Additionally, beyond the new proposals in the President's plan, there are two provisions in the TCJA, which are currently scheduled to take effect on January 1st of 2022, that are of considerable interest to companies in our sector. The first is the capitalization of R&D under Section 174, and the second is the elimination of depreciation and amortization as an add-back to the taxable income base for calculating the interest-expense deduction limitation under Section 163J. There seems to be some sympathy on Capitol Hill for at least addressing the R&D capitalization provision, and perhaps both. Janice, can you provide some color around whether and how these two provisions might be addressed this year? Absolutely. I think you're completely right. Of the two
1: end-of-year changes, repealing or delaying the Section 174 R&D amortization has the broader bipartisan constituency right now. They've debated for years spending more on R&D, so they're very comfortable with that debate. Repeal or delay of Section 163J's dropping depreciation and amortization from the cap on interest deductions is less understood. It is possible, but I think it's a long shot that Democrats include either of these two in a Democrats-only broad tax increase and spending bill, not because Democrats won't want to do it. But they're going to have to squeeze out something that's ahead of it in line in their priorities to do this themselves. They may have to offset the cost of it. So it's possible, but I think that's a push right now to get that far. But I actually expect both provisions to be dealt with, if not before, at least in that end-of-the-year extenders package. We've never gotten rid of those. This is going to jump right in with the rest of them that are still there. And that's a bipartisan exercise. That's gonna remain a bipartisan exercise. The leaders of the Republicans and the Democrats in the House work together on that. So there's gonna be kind of more give and take and it doesn't have to rise as a change from the 2017 legislation that Democrats aren't comfortable necessarily doing themselves. Whether it's pushing it beyond or into the end of 2025 or it's a shorter term extension It's possible they don't deal with extenders at the end of the year. Business may have to face not knowing what's going to happen until early in the year. They've gotten a little bit lackadaisical about doing these things in a timely fashion. But I do expect it is my fondest hope, and I think it is likely that they will address these.
2: I also agree with Janice that the most likely outcome here is that it's a kind of extender. And I think the precedence for that is something we saw at the end of last year with the CFC look through a rule which received a temporary reprieve and a multi-year extension. That was what they did in December of 2020. We expect something similar will be the likely outcome for the research provision as well as the interest deduction limitation, losing the DA. The only thing I want to caution listeners about is that this is unlikely to be included in the tax title of the infrastructure bill. So we'll hear a lot of conversations, some of the things we teed up at the top of our conversation about the various tax provisions that were meant to pay for infrastructure, meant to deal with a variety of tax increases that are on the table. This is unlikely to be part of that package. Ultimately, we're just going to have to be a little bit on the edge of our seat and wait and hope that this does get into a final year-end
0: package. That's where its most likely inclusion is. And at the end of the day, we're hopeful that that's where we will end up. So beyond these more notable tax provisions for companies in the sector, there are two other items I thought we might spend a few minutes on. The first are tax proposals that we might see related to advancing clean energy initiatives. We have many clients in our sector that are heavy users of fossil fuels and companies that are also innovators when it comes to developing next generation products that will reduce the carbon footprint of businesses and consumers alike. Janice, what might we expect related to proposals in this space?
1: Even if Democrats had a supermajority, I think that complete repeal of those tax breaks for fossil fuels would not be easy for them. You certainly aren't going to see new incentives in that world. But that same Senator Joe Manchin is from coal country, and Democrats represent parts of Texas in the Midwest, where oil and gas are family businesses for many. For coal specifically, Senator Manchin wants to bring some of these New renewable credits like wind, West Virginia, sort of begin to replace some of those jobs. In addition, Democrats have to internally resolve their debate over whether they try to clean up some of these fuels that are there. Do we deal with cleaning coal, et cetera? Some want to jump ahead to new sources and others want to try as a transition to keep some of that going at this point. They have not resolved those issues. They're also going to need to decide whether they continue on the path they've been on for many of the separate renewable energy kinds of proposed credits and things, probably for a longer period of time, they've heard they've done it for too short a period in the past, or are they going to follow Senate Finance Chair Wyden's idea of a technology neutral set of tax credits? The faster they act, I think the less likely it is they're going to be comfortable replacing the system they have. I expect for the businesses in this industry, we're going to see a number of incentives, a lot of encouragement for business to invest in this sector and public-private partnerships, as well as a lot of tax-benefited municipal investments. So there's going to be a lot
0: going on here. So let's turn to another significant potential development, and that is the IRS budget. As most tax observers know, the IRS budget in recent years has been reduced dramatically and there has been a real brain drain relative to experienced executives and agents. One other Biden administration proposal that is expected is to increase funding for the IRS with a corresponding enhancement of resources devoted to business tax audits and enforcement. So Scott, where does this priority fit in the broader Biden administration policy agenda And what do we think it means for companies in the sector? John, it certainly seems like they're headed to a place
2: where they're going to appropriate a lot more money for the IRS and specifically try to direct the IRS to engage in a wider variety of audits and perhaps deeper and more thorough audits in an attempt to try to collect some of the money that they think is not being paid. There have been some hearings recently, and the IRS commissioner has spoken about this issue, and it's received quite a bit of attention, this idea of the tax gap the amount of money that is the difference if you will between what they think should be coming in versus what is actually coming in but there's also some controversy around just how large that gap may be they've now started to say that the gap could be as high as 1 trillion dollars that seems a little bit unlikely given that they collect about 2.9 trillion so the idea that there's a whole another trillion out there that's uncollected seems like it might be an estimate too high and that may be partly driven by some estimates about what's in the e-currency space seems to be driving a lot of that So it's a bit speculative, but either way, it is driving the conversation towards greater audits. The trick is that the audits don't necessarily bring in the kind of money that they think it can, and in some cases can actually result in outcomes favorable to the taxpayer. So it's not always the font of potential revenue that they think it might be, but I don't think that's going to stop them from spending money in this place. So I think that at the end of the day, high net worth individuals, as well as businesses, whether pass-through or corporate, are going to face a higher level of scrutiny in coming years as a result of the money that they expect to be appropriating to the IRS. In the future years, there will be hearings with the IRS commissioner or others from the IRS coming up to talk about some of the successes they think they have had as a result of those increased audits. So I would expect that to be an ongoing source of concern because you're probably going to have greater visitation from some of the IRS auditors.
0: Well, thank you, Scott and Janice, for your insights and perspectives. The rest of the year promises to be very active from a tax policy perspective with implications on many fronts for companies in the sector. And I would look forward to having you both back in the future to discuss how the year plays out. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for joining us. We hope you found this discussion helpful, and we hope to have you join us again for our upcoming podcasts. Take care.